Welcome back to the Rabasha Family Podcast. Now, I have a very special guest in the building. I want to tell you a little bit backstory. We had, I think it was my mother's birthday party in... Uh, up in, not um, Kessington, somewhere, somewhere yeah. in the eastern suburbs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, in the eastern suburbs. And I was sitting near you and, you know, I'm the type of person like, I, we've met before, but, you know, usually, you know, I'm a bit younger or you just have conversations. There's so many aunties, you know, it really is a village. So I remember it was you uh, with the auntie next to you and the spirit, you know, I'm very someone with energy and the spirit that came from you, the freedom. I thought it was your twin sister, by the way. Like, I was like, oh, these sisters are so cool. And just like the spirit, the energy, the way you came across later on, I said, I have to have a deeper conversation with this person. Mm. And so, yeah, I just wanted to introduce you guys. So uh, you've been playing cat and mouse since then, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Because, but it was that day that I was, you intrigued me and it was your spirit, the way you came across, again, the, how beautiful you looked. When I <laughs> came to a surprise, it was, uh, you know, your daughter. That was an, another amazing thing. But just your character, your spirit, your energy. And I told mom, I said, mom, Auntie Gift was so amazing. She says, yes, she's a person that you have to get on. And so here we are. Yeah, we are. Welcome. Thank you. It's good. It's good to to do this. Um, I don't normally do um, this kind of things. I normally fob them off, as you can think. But you are so insistent. I said, I do it. I do it if, uh, if it's that important. Yeah. Thank you, and I really appreciate. You know, I appreciate your time, and I know again without having talked to you so much, I said there's so much value that not only I can get, but the people here who are watching. So let's take it back all the way to the beginning. Let's get to know, you know, Auntie Gift. Tell us a little bit about yourself in your beginnings. And So I'm, my, my name definitely is Gift Utieno. Originally, I'm from Kenya. I'm from a place, I was born in a place called Bondo in Sierra County. I am married in Sierra County. I live here in Australia now with my kids and husband. Done that since 1999. Actually, 2000. My husband came in 1999, but I came in 2000. I've got four kids, two boys and two girls, and I've got three grandkids. Okay, so uh, let's start from so the eldest to the youngest. Who's What's the order? So I've got uh, the daughter who has the two sons that are my grandkids, Kate. I've got uh, uh, Patrick. Mm -hmm. uh, Patrick wa works for the ADF. He's somewhere in the world now. I don't know exactly where. Um, but he he's stationed in Queensland, in Townsville. And then I have um, Ian, who's the dad to the girl. Uh -huh. And then I have um, uh, Crystal, my youngest. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And so, I mean, four children, that's amazing. Take us back to the very, very beginning. How was childhood like for you growing up? Well, I am a... I am um, um, what I would call um, a product of both worlds. My my mom was a teacher. She taught in the village, and my dad lived in the city. So we would go to school, and as you know, we all went to boarding school. So primary school, we went to primary school mostly in the village. Uh, some of us went to boarding school, but then uh, then in the it was compulsory for us to go to the city over school holidays, and. The reason was that it was easier for us to concentrate on our studies. I don't know how well that worked, but um, it didn't matter if dad was coming home for the holidays, we had to go to the city. Um, so that kind of made me, gave me good perspective of both the village life and um, and, um, and the city life. I do call myself a village girl, though. I'm village through and through. Yeah, I'm very proud of it. Okay, you're proud of that. Okay, how many brothers and sisters? I've got two brothers. Um, I've got um, three sisters. I am the first girl. I've got two brothers after me, and then I've got um, a sister. I've got uh, my one of my sisters lived in the UK, and my other two sisters live back home in Kenya. So, also you're the oldest. I am the oldest. Oldest, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so, what was that responsibility like being the oldest? Oh, still, still huge, still huge. Um, sometimes I wonder. Sometimes when my family say, "Oh, give." We need to do this, but you need to lead it. I'm like, I'm here, you there. I am I leading that? But that that is responsibility that comes with being a firstborn. And um, you also develop some kind of personality when you're a firstborn because you're a leader. In my in my um, 
generation, if you are first born, by the time you're nine years old, you're a mother, you're a mother, you're a mother, you're looking after the home, you're cleaning, you're cooking, are you making menus, you um that making sure people go to school, clothes are washed. The time you're nine years old, um, and you do that throughout your life, as long as you're still home, you do that. If you have other sisters behind you, they just join you in the queue as you do that. That is the African way of bringing up. That is the way we are trained to be uh, women. Mm -hmm. Wow, okay. So what do you remember? Like, so you said your mom was like, so she was looking after the house? She was a teacher. Village? Oh, she was a teacher. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she was a teacher with you guys. Your dad was in the city, mm -hmm. like coming back and forth. Mm -hmm. What do you remember about like their marriage as a child, you know, just growing up and life? I think my my parents' marriage, I've always said that my parents' marriage gave me a very superficial view of marriage. I thought that my, their marriage was perfect. I thought, um, I don't know if my mom ever bought anything. I didn't see her take out her money from her wallet to buy it. Maybe she did. I just didn't see it. Uh, every morning when my dad was, if you were in the city, um, in my generation, having a refrigerator was not, not everybody had a fridge. Very rich people had fridges. Um, normal people didn't have fridges. We just bought things from the kiosk across the road. Um, and so my mom, every morning when my dad was going to work, she'd, he'd leave money for breakfast, he'd leave money for lunch, he'd leave money for dinner. And I, I didn't, I knew my mom worked. I just thought that's the way it's done, that the, that the man always would buy the food. And if I wanted school books, I'd just go to my dad. If I wanted, um, when I came from, from school with a, um, a report, school report for school, I just gave that to my dad. I just didn't know my mom was made to have it. Things changed though, because when I was in um, um, equivalent to year 10, my dad went for further studies in the, U in the US. Mm -hmm. um, and then there, our lives changed because then we had only mom. Um, that kind of changed a lot about our lifestyle, changed a lot about um, responsibility and how I looked at it. But I do think that my mom and my dad's marriage were, was perfect, in my, in my opinion it was. Well, did you see like much affection with them? Well, now define affection. Like, you know, you know how you see, sometimes you might see your mom and dad kiss or holding hands. Or we don't culturally do that. In front of your children? No. Culturally, we don't do that in front of our children. Mm. I mean, the African marriage are series, and partly I am that generation as well, where your affection between husband and wife is assumed. Mm. It's not something that is um, out there in the open. If you if you went to an African village even today, so for example, if there's a wedding or, or there's a, any kind of celebration, you could tell who, which couple is from the city and which couple is from the village. The village couple have no kind of relationship that you can see until you see them getting to the same house they say, oh they're related i didn't know that oh. but they they had their own way of doing the doing that my mom my dad was different in a way that my, my mom could he could hug my mom uh my mom wasn't that that way she didn't she, that was what she liked she would always tell them oh don't do that they're in front of kids and um that is the way Africans do it. We don't, the marriage, married, married couple rarely would show affection in front of their kids. Nah, I think I'm just that generation as well. That generation. So year 10, you said your dad goes off. And he didn't come back until I finished, um, um, what, it, form six? Form six. So how old, how old is that? I would have been um, 17 when he came back. He went when I was 14. She, you know, he was there for five years. So he went, I would have been 18 when he came back. Wow. So he was away for five years. Five years. Mm -hmm. How was your relationship with your father before him going away and then after? Him, he, me and my dad, we had a very special relationship. I've always known I was his favorite. He always told me. And um, he, he, um, when he went to the U.S., when he left, the day he left for the U.S., my world fell apart. I did not know what to do. I didn't know because my dad would always, I was in boarding school, my dad would always write to me a letter every week. When he was in the, he was in the U.S. in the 80s, letters would take like three weeks between the U.S.A. and come to Kenya. And so by the time I reply him, so 
in school, I would have maybe one or two letters in the course of the three months semester that I was in school. It was a very difficult time for me. Um, it took me an, over over a year to settle. Um, sure. When he came back, he came back when I was just finishing my A levels, and um, I guess he, I was, um, I missed him, and I, I don't think there was any difference between the time that he left and the time that. that I, I didn't know that there was things I couldn't, I could, that I could not sit on my dad because I was now a bigger girl. I would do that and my mom would come, get off your dad, you know, too big to sit on him. And um, that would come, that came with cultural implications as well. Um, they don't tell you that in, in the culture. They just tell you you're too big to do it or you're too young to do it, you know, uh, the way the African culture works. They, they, it's never explained. You're supposed to work it out. That's culturally, I'm not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to go and like, like you said, sit on your dad. Sit on your dad when you are, when especially, and I think the implication was that you could be having your periods wow. and you sit on your dad. And culturally, that is not acceptable. You know what I mean? But that is something that you just work out. No one ever told us that. We, I just sat on my dad and um, my dad didn't push me back. And my mom is going, get off your dad. You know, you're too, now too old to sit on him. Yeah. See, the, the reason the reason why I asked that question, Auntie, is because, you know, the father and especially like the daughter, you know, and it's like to have that father in the household is so important. And Absolutely. that's the reason I asked you that relationship. I can imagine now for him to go. Um, yeah, the importance of that, because I've also seen how, you know, whether it's our mothers, our aunties, if they never had that love with their father still today. A lot of people, if it's not been healed or it's not something that they think about, they're still running off programs of not having love from the father or not having that relationship. So that's why I wanted to just you know, ask you. Absolutely. About I think a father's love for a daughter especially, especially. is very, very special. Um, it sets the daughter up for the kind of man she's going to date. You know what I mean? Um, if if people people who don't have or who don't have relationship or who have bad relationship, some people don't have relationship at all, so they they have nothing to copy from, so they they may be fine. Um, but some the ones who have bad relationship, and especially if there's a squabbles in the family between the mom and dad, sometimes that sets off daughters in a very different trajectory. Um, and the kind of people that you date, sometimes. And do not they are below because you 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 are you are you are you are view of a good man may be too low in my opinion, mm. and I've seen that happen to a lot of people. But on the reverse, when you have a dad like I did, your view your standards become too high, and sometimes you may end up um, um, not getting the kind of relationship you want because you you build your standards too high and no one measures up to that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think it's it's so powerful and. Like even me, when it comes to a relationship, like when I met my girlfriend, that was one of the things I might not even say, but I look for, I see. And so if I see, wow, you have an amazing relationship with your father, there's love there. You have your validation from your father. So when you grow up, you don't need, you don't need one from external me. validation from anyone else. Or from and you as a husband. Exactly. You know, because I already not only have that love for my father, then I cultivate the love for myself. So. I want to ask you, you know, you talked about like when you'd sit on your father's lap or so, you know, and let's say your mother saying, no, don't sit on there. And the assumptions is our African culture, is it degrading towards our women at times? Like, what are your thoughts on, you know, things like that? I think the African woman, um, well, before, just to answer that question, before I came to Australia, I always looked at myself as a feminist. I thought I was a feminist. I still believe I am to an extent I am. Um, but I think the Western feminism is very different from the African feminism. The African feminism does not uh, um, put the genders against each other. We have our place and we and our place is very powerful. Uh, the men have their place and their place is very powerful. Um, I guess what I saw when I came here with the feminism is I can do it because they don't tell me, look, I'm a woman, I can do anything that a man can do. Mm. But the African feminism doesn't look at feminism like that. We do know there are things that only men can do, just like the men understand there are only things that we can do. And, and, and that is um, our place of power 
is very different from where the feminism in the West put their place of power. Our place of power is not a, is not the fight, you know, it's not putting pitting the genders against each other. Our place of power is very, very our line of power is very, very designated. So, like I said before, one of the things that gives a man power in the home is that he provides, he protects. All right? That is, um, and he respects. That is, that gives a man power in the home. A man that does not provide does not have power. He has no voice. A man that does not protect has no voice in the home because he doesn't have the power. Now, the, my place of power in the home is that when the man provides, then I do. That is my place of power. If, for example, I grow up and I cannot prepare, say, breakfast or a meal, I lose my place of power, right? Mm. Um, and that is a place of power that I'm very protective of. I don't expect um, anybody else to come within my, my, my horizon of power. I guess when I first came to Australia, one of the things that I found really hard, and I think could, if I may say so from my counseling background, one of the highest uh, cause of, of, uh, of um, pro uh, problem in, in the African family is that when the last line is blood. So when we first came to Australia, I was, my husband was a student, I was working. How old? Were you guys? Oh, we were in our early thirties when we first came. Yeah, so also good. Yeah, so so mm. so we. My husband was a student. I was working. And so, what that does, it blurs the line between the provider, in the home. So I'll give you a really good example. When African families come here, especially as refugees, Centrelink gives the money to the woman. Right. Wow. And as a result, the woman now becomes the provider of the home. In some homes, to make things work better, what they do, the woman would receive the money but give the man to manage it. Because some of those women, as refugee women, some of them haven't worked yet. They have been in war zone for so long, they haven't worked. Some of them have worked so they can, they can um, manage the money, but they give it to the man because they need to give the man the power as a provider. Now, in a situation where that does not happen, it's scobos because the man loses his power in the eyes of the woman, and in the eyes of the woman, the, 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 in, the, in his own eyes, he's also powerless. He's no longer a provider. That land is blood. Or the woman then now goes because the women socialize faster, they get jobs faster, they start working, the man is at home. So who's picking up the kids from school? Who's doing the dishes? That plan is blood. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I definitely agree with you. One thing you said with the in the West, how they like to compare. Oh well, I can do what a man does, and now as a woman, you're going and displaying masculine traits. Where like the man, he also wants that. Uh, he wants the need to feel protect uh, to be be respected in the house. But yeah, you're right. When those balances play out, and even when you have a solid feminine queen who has that love and can nurture. Not only does she nurture the children, nurture the home, makes the house into a home, but even your ideas. I can come to my girl and say, hey, listen, this is what I'm, you know, she gives me the support, the intuition, you know, the being in touch with the spiritual, with God, you know, and being able to lead a home, you know, and it's just that perfect balance. But when I asked you if our the African culture is degrading, so for example, if let's say you saw your granddaughter with um, the dad, maybe at an older age and she's really affectionate, would, is is it the same in terms of well, get off your um, dad? Like, do you know what I mean? What I'm trying to say. I, like I don't think the African culture is degraded to women at, at all. I think there's a, there's a, there's a, we have let ourselves, and this is both from gender, both gender. We have let ourselves be. Um, I would say what I want to use be. Um, we have let the Western culture define what degrading is right so for example when i i i hear a lot of of um the fact that i hear a lot of times where men and women when they intermarry in different culture the women from that culture think they're the first people teaching our men how to love they think and there's this there's this um uh thing in their head that all our marriages are arranged 
So my husband didn't love me. He was just told, marry, marry her, right? And so they, they define us in certain ways. So for example, the fact that I walk behind my husband does not make me less equal mm -hmm. to him. There's a reason where I'm behind him. There's protect, there was protection issue mm -hmm. for that, all right? There's protection issue for that. And I've, I've explained that most times an African man would put a woman in front of him. There is a reason for that. There was, it was never, it was, we don't have to walk on the same line. And my husband didn't have to hold my hand for me to know that he, for me to understand that he loves me. My husband doesn't have to always hug me in public for me to know that he loves me. I know when my husband loves me. I know when he tells me he loves me. Do you understand? Um, so, but when other cultures who do not understand our culture then want to define what they can see on the physical and call that degrading, I think that's offensive. I, I, I remember I used to have, when I was in Kenya, I used to have a Ugandan maid. And you know, Ugandan girls would always kneel down mm -hmm. to, the, to the men. And I would tell her, why are you kneeling, kneeling down for him? I'm the one who pays you. Why are you not kneeling down to me? And I, it used to offend me until one Ugandan lady explained it to me, if that is reverse power. But it got Ugandan women kneel down. Um, when I am down and you are up, how are you going to raise your voice at me? How are you going to raise your voice at me? I'm down here. When are you going to raise it? And you'll find that a Ugandan woman will not cook. They rarely cook. They, they rarely go to the kitchen. Their husbands cook. Their husband will come and sit down. They'll go get the food and bring it down, kneeling them. Really? Rarely cook. The most powerful woman in Africa is a Ugandan woman. I always thought that. They, they, they have much more power and control than we do. But when you look at the physical, or how the physical plays up, you would look at that and you say, nah, I do not want to do that. But so our, our what they call degrading is defined by other cultures. Absolutely. There are some culture in, in Africa that were degrading mm. of women and both ways, degrading of women. And those were done by, um, for culture, I'll give you a good, really good example. Um, the West have always looked at dowry as buying a woman. Mm. And I've always said, no man is taking my daughter without paying dowry. And for reason, dowry was a marriage certificate. It was not degrading to a woman in any way. Um, dowry was a relationship. It was a, a relationship, building a relationship between the two families. No one can afford to buy me. No one can afford me. But my husband pays dowry as an appreciation to my family for bringing up this woman that he cannot live without. When it comes to culture, for example, uh, things like sitting, my, me sitting with my dad, right? Culture is like oxygen. Until somebody goes against it, especially because we live here, you don't, they don't. For example, there's a lot of your culture that you would not know until you do something. Your mom says, we don't do that. And then you tell me, your mom, why didn't you tell me? But because culture is like oxygen. You breathe it. We, we, we grew up on it. We, it was just the way we lived. And there's a difference between culture and tradition, right? So the African by nature is still very culturalized. We may not be traditional. And tradition was the rule. Culture is the lifestyle. So tradition is the rule, culture is the lifestyle. Can you give us an example? So tradition, for example, is it was traditional for men. It was, it was a, a tradition, for example, it was tradition that uh, when I get married, I take over my husband's name. That's what's tradition. That's tradition, right? So tradition is the rule. This, this has to be done. This has to be done. This has to be done. Culture was just a lifestyle, right? Culture is just a lifestyle. That's the, this is the way we do it. You know, when, when, um, when your dad comes in and there's no chair, you get up. That's culture. That's, that's the way we live our lives. So there's a dif big difference between culture and tradition, and there's a lot of mix-up in the two. So I'm, I'm very culturalized, but I'm not traditional. I would not, I'm not bound by certain tradition, but when it's culture, I'm very culturalized. I love living my culture. Yeah. So do you think, let's see, this is a, this is a good conversation. So with the culture and tradition, with the culture, do you ever think it can be changed or certain things can through times or through certain years, maybe you could have been doing something with your culture that you know, you felt it was aligned with you 
do you ever see it as something that okay can be changed or this is how it is or this is the lifestyle and it's lived throughout culture evolved evolves okay culture evolved uh, so long as the fundamentals or the culture remain in place there's nothing with evolving a culture culture evolves there would be certain things that i would find as a child i would find very easy to do or to be that my kids would be like why um or why do we do it and so so long as so long as if you start explaining culture to someone then that person is either not part of that culture or it is not making sense to them culture must make sense to the person who needs to be part of it you'll find that there are things for example when you were younger um in your culture that you did not even think about but now you need you want to do them because one you are an identity mm. right because culture culture identifies you um but culture evolves and as long as the fundamentals of the culture remain in place there's nothing wrong with evolving a culture or the culture like it, it, and if i think about it when it comes to like let's say culture things from you know being a child everyone auntie you know the respect you know i still have those fundamentals and those are things that i'll teach my children you mm-hmm. know always to have that respect auntie uncle you know you come in like you said sitting down you, you, you know you go you stand up you hug you show that um you know these if it's an elder um and and i'm not necessarily meaning like okay cuz i've also as i've grown up even even if it's let's say my parents aunties uncles there's certain things that maybe they've had from their parents or their family that may not necessarily be right you know what i mean and sometimes i think maybe in african culture we have this the child is wrong and or if you're younger you're wrong the older you know where it's like i still feel like i can be able to come and express myself hey mom or hey dad maybe i this is how i feel and have that conversation this, this, this instead of just no you you guys are wrong and, and i had a conversation oh sorry it's gone um so yeah you can continue back so that you know how you talk about expressing yourself in a conversation in my generation we didn't do that we didn't do that like you say we were children we listened if you didn't agree you did anyway your father would work it out or your parents would work it out that you did not agree mm. but we did not do that we we did not come and reason with our parents and i guess one of the things that when grandmothers come to visit us and they hear our kids asking us why they ask why is your kids talking back at you i said mom they're not talking back at me they're just asking me why my mom asked me who taught them to ask you why wow yeah because they're not, they're not supposed to ask why we never we never ask our, our parents why it was not acceptable but i agree with that that's how culture has evolved mm. so where i give my children the space to ask me why and to talk to me and express themselves because the culture they live in is different yeah. it it uh, it um, it needs them to do that mm. yeah so that's one way that culture can take culture has evolved can has evolved yeah uh, is there anything like that your parents told you that still sticks with you today in the way you live your life whether it's relationship raising children mm-hmm. whatever it is Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one is um no one will build your no one will build your self esteem for you. There's a reason why the self is called the self esteem. You have to build that for yourself. And um um the world will always be against your self esteem. You have to not to build that yourself. And I do think uh one so what, that was one of them and by that was children respect. And respectful people, respectful opinions um I may not agree with your opinion. I need to understand your opinion. Mm. I may not agree with it, mm. but I need to understand and give you the space to have the opinion. And uh, unless the opinion is destroying me or affecting me in other way, you have all the right to have your opinion. And that was my, one thing that my dad would say: you have to give people the space to express themselves, respect, um, express themselves, and also. You, the, the esteem is called self for a reason. No one will build it for you. The one will always be on the opposite side, trying to destroy it. You have to maintain it. So, how do you how do you find ways to build your self esteem? I think one of the things is self belief. Um, self belief is really important. It it takes away a lot of things, a lot of issues for you, and it comes from physical, mental, psychological. Self belief is the belief that. I may not be as tall as you are. I'm still beautiful. I may not be as short as you are or as slim as you are, but I'm still beautiful. 
Self-belief will take things, for example, mentally. I may not have the expertise in that field, but I have expertise in this field. I may not be that, but I am this. All right? Always look at, always looking at what I'm not. I think we sometimes are very wired to look at what we are not. And that causes a lot of things, body issues, um, uh, um, um, body image issues, uh, mental issues, psychological issues. And a lot of anxiety and depression actually originate from me thinking I'm not measuring up. So the people who come to me for counseling that have got anxiety, that have got um, depression, is the world is not, it's not revolving the way they want it to be. And sometimes you find that things like that, the inner self, the inner being have to fight those. I, I think it's so important because it's the internal. And when you're living life, like you said, a lot of us, we find the fault of what we don't have is because we're looking at the external so much. And so, like you said, they're always going to be against your self-esteem. Why? Because they can sell you products. They can make money. They're going to market to you that you're not beautiful enough, mm -hmm. that you need to come and buy this product mm -hmm. or you need to go do this. Mm -hmm. So that's why you say it has to be from the internal first Absolutely. and then the external. Because Absolutely. if you live life based on the external, you're comparing yourself constantly. Constantly. And, you know, th th let's take beauty, for example. The black girl, I don't know anybody who compares to us. But the West has always told us, define beauty for us. Good example. We had always been told if you had a big bum, no, 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 that's beautiful. That's, that's not beautiful, right? They used to say that. Absolutely. Big bum was out. Really? Oh, it's always been. It's only the Kim Kardashian that brought that in. Imagine. That's true. All right. So now, and we were always told big lips, ugly. Yet these people go inject their lips to be big and they tell us, so we let them define what beauty is as for us. While naturally we were endowed with these things, all right? But they looked at us and because they wanted to, to take that away from us, what did they do? They define beauty different. They define beauty very differently. And then we went that way thinking that was beautiful. We were not created like that. Mm. It's, you know, that that's so, so true because that's why, where you see like even being light being lighter was always the beautiful one mm -hmm. that's when you have a lot of african women going and bleaching their skin mm -hmm. and then you see they a lot of hand themselves to brown to be brown exactly and 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 then you see uh, a lot of white people what do they they go to those tanning places they go there to be more darker that like you said the the thing with the with the the bum or the booty you see people going and getting injections injections and having it built up for them so wow they really you know made us think that like the black woman that's not the standard that was not the standard that was never the standard True. and then when it worked for them it a, became the standard a kim kardashian mm -hmm. now has a, a big booty now it becomes the wave and now if you see it like if we look at the day and age now and the culture that we're in the black woman is the role model the black woman is what everyone desires looks after and tries to model themselves after but they'll still go and tell you that you're not beautiful you're not beautiful we don't i don't have to inject my lips to look beautiful i mean i i was given that i don't have to go build a booty i was endowed with that right i don't have to go and and and, and streamline my waist i was given that and nature just gave the black woman that i go home to the village now and do you can you believe it? Now I notice the bodies on the women. I never used to. It was just something that was normal. But then the West has now told me that is now beautiful. Now I notice. Now I tell them, oh, you have really good bam. I'm like, eh? Should I be telling people that? Because that is something that we were just enjoying. It was just a natural thing. But we get defined. We get defined. We let people define that. It's not just the other race that defines us. We let other people define us. We let the family define us. We let siblings define us. We let friends define us. And then we live a life that is fake because we have been defined by other people. While we, we can define ourselves. And no, I, 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 my, my self-confidence is built by me. It's, it's over the roof for me because I don't let people define me either by what they say by what they think or by what they have said if somebody came to me and said so and told me so and so told me you are a very arrogant person i said well so and so maybe probably knows me like that i don't know myself like that and you you'd find people who don't know me like that 
right? You do not let people define you by that because that what that it gives you mental health issues because we get defined and we accept it. That's that's so powerful. Not like even how you said. Not only do we let the external or the other cultures or whoever else define us, but ourselves, you know, your family members. And I'll tell you something like even, you know, me and my girlfriend, you know, we're very close and you kind of find yourself sometimes, you know, you're doing your thing, you're enjoying life. But then the thoughts of now other people, whether that's family members, whoever it is, like not to let that affect you. Like you said, if someone comes and okay, cool. And that's what like, again, teaching and these are the things that you learn. But when I was in it, I was like, yeah, so many other people go through this. Mm-hmm. But the mistake is they let that define them. Mm-hmm. They let that, oh, maybe that person's right. Or, you know, you're letting outside influences within your mind. And that's what can lead to. But when you go in and you love yourself and have the internal, no matter what other people say, that's just their thought. That's just their thought. We, occasionally we have, I, I organize an African women, I call it Afri- I call it women timeout. It's a timeout where I ask the women, they just come to my home. We just come to a, a home we talk about things. We, we just sit and cook. We have no agenda. We just sit and cook. And I tell you what, the things that the women talk about there are so helpful to other people. People think, because we live in a very isolated lives here, you may be having ch- problem with your kids and you think you're the only one until you meet other mothers and you said, oh my God, you have same issues. And I'll tell you a really good thing that came up one day. One of the things that came up one day that we were now having boys who are, who are now old enough to have girlfriends, teenagers, and what do we do with these girlfriends? They're in school. Do we let them into our home? And one of the mothers actually had a, the girlfriend, the, the girl, the, the, had one of the, the women here who, who, whose son had a girlfriend. The, the mother to the girlfriend dropped the girlfriend at home. And then she was now wondering, is she staying? Where do they sit? In the sitting room, in their room? Where do I let them sit? Those kind of things. So there's, everybody was struggling with that, but no one thought, everybody thought, it's just me. And sometimes when people are struggling with kids, maybe kids are not behaving well, people don't necessarily not say because they think they, they want to hide. They just don't know that other people are going through the same thing. I've had a lot of people saying, oh, so-and-so doesn't want people to know that their kids are misbehaving. No, they just don't know. I, they just don't know. People may not know. I may not know that other people are having the same problem that I'm having with my kids, you know. So I, I don't talk about it, not because I want to hide it, but I just don't know who to tell. But when people come and they say, oh, my child is doing that, oh, goodness, you have the same problem. So people compare notes, and then you discover, you discover your kids are not doing that bad. Mm, they're just, they're bad. just kids. Yeah. They're just kids. They, they're just growing. They're just going through a situation, mm. and they're through a thing. They, they'll be fine. A phase, like my dad, like my dad likes to say that we've had interviews where he says it's cycles. But even he was saying, like with like let's say his younger son Emmanuel or certain things in the house, he was like a lot of the things. And maybe if he can open up to other people, it's not even about what he's doing. It's he's thinking of what other people are gonna think, mm-hmm. you know. And he said that's also a problem we have as parents sometimes. It's not even about the child at times. It's like. And maybe that's why some mothers or fathers, same thing, can't open up to other people is because maybe they're worried about what other people will think. But like you said, like people all go through. People all, all, if you find a parent, you'll find that parents are going through almost the similar thing. They just don't know who to share it with. In the village, it will be known, it will be known, oh, he's doing this. So they, if people would know, people would come up to tell, talk to you that your dad then had the opportunity. Mm. But when the life we live here is different. So people sometimes don't know. And they don't know where to get the support or the headphone. Yeah, it's true. And I wanted to piggyback, like you said, it's funny. You were saying when you went to the village and you see so many beautiful women. As I got older, you know, I always go back to Kenya. And that was one of the biggest things I mm-hmm. noticed. Like, I'll, I'll be like, man. Yeah, so well built. Beautiful woman. And mm-hmm. you know, the, you see the woman carrying the thing on their head, and you know. And they have done nothing for their body. And even the men. I see men in the village. They're buffed up big. And there's no gym. I remember me and my sister were looking at me and like, look at them. Look at how well built and bath they are. There's no gym. They have never gone to a gym in their lives. And they, they, but they, we never noticed things like that yeah. because the West hadn't pointed them out to us, mm-hmm. which is, which is amazing, sad, mm-hmm. but we never, we never, we, those, we never looked at things like that. But now we, you go to the village and you look at the village men and you see these uh, really, really good looking men, very well and nicely built. 
we never looked at those things. And and then like it's funny because even me when I was there, I was like, man, the the average woman here like on it would be like an Instagram model here mm-hmm. in the you know like I'm mm-hmm. like it's crazy. Um, so let me ask you, okay, so oh, I want to go in, you know, before we wrap it up and everything, the relationship, you know, relationship advice and and all that type of stuff, but. When did you meet your husband? And tell us a bit a bit about your journey. So, like you said, you um, a, a little bit back before we go into that. But um, your dad comes back. You're 18 years old. Your path to you know your path now to adulthood and coming to Australia and then meeting your husband. I met my husband in school. By the way, okay. we were we are what they would call the high school sweetest. We I met him in school. Oh wow! Um, and then we went to college together as well. Um, um, with boyfriend and girlfriend. How did you meet him? I met him in school. You know how you know how you are in uh, in boarding school. You do I don't know if you do, but in boarding school they would have outings where you you belong to a club. So maybe debating club, but the debating club is going to a, a male school. So the outings would always be an interchange between a male school and so the girls would go to their boys' school and or the reverse. So that's how I met my husband. So we were both members of historical uh, the historical club, and uh, he was um. He was up an official, and I was an official. That's how we met. We met in school. Um, we then did not. I think we lost touch a little bit about there until after school, and then we connected just before we went to college. Um, we. It is an interesting thing because when I first, when I think, he's got a completely different story on how he felt when he first saw me. When I first saw him, I was. Uh, I was going through some my dad had wasn't back then i was actually having that kind of disconnect mm-hmm. between male disconnect and i would, and um the male was just a nuisance to me i was in form five at that time the male was just a nuisance to me and and sorry that was just a reflection of the 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 I had, from your father yeah for, so a man father. was just yeah my but when my dad left when my dad was leaving the night before he flew out he told me do not let a man do anything to you that you don't want him to do. Do not let him convince you into doing anything. I think my dad was trying to tell me, do not let a man uh, ask you to have sex with him mm-hmm. in school. But that's not the way he said. He said, do not let any man do to you what he said. Men, he told me, men will always be there. And men are always, and he, my, my dad was like, men will always be pursue you for one simple thing. Other things will come, but the one thing that attracts men to you would be the first. The first thing is how you look, and so um, I, I was a really wild, wild girl. Wild as in I didn't like men. I thought they were waste of space. I thought they were arrogant. I thought they were stinking and smelly. Um, my husband, when I met him though, and we had a first dance, we danced with him. I think he was one of the first guys I didn't not find smelly. Mm-hmm. I didn't find he, he didn't smell sweat, and I thought, oh, okay. Um, but then we, I think in the course of that day, we didn't really connect on that day. He went, talked to some other girls, and I talked to some other boys, and then we went home. Uh, we really didn't reconnect later, though. That, but the first time that we met was when we were in school. Mm-hmm. And then we got married after we finished college. We were both teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were both posted. Our first posting was in uh, Nyeri. He was in Karima High School, and I was in a school called Sugar in Karatina. Um, and then after we finished that we got married and when we got married he was a teacher in a school uh south Bongo high school in the village i was a, t- I was a teacher at kasuma boys high school but so when you guys reconnected mm. what made you fall in love with him what what was it about him that i think he passed i think he he was my, my husband was i've got a good thing i'm gonna pursue him pursue him I wasn't in any way form of think, thinking of getting married when I got married, very young. I thought I did not think I was allowed to get married, but he wanted to get married. So I did tell him, all right, give me two years. Give me two years. After college, we finish college, we start work, give me two years to do that. And he didn't wait for two years. I think we got married the first year, the second, and at the end of the first year. He he really, really wanted to get married. He was To me, he was... um. I remember when I, when I was going to marry him, one of my aunties met me and um, he, my auntie was married to some guy who was very rich. And he, she, she met me and she told me, I hear you're going, you're going to marry a teacher. And I said, yeah. And he said, who told you you could marry a teacher? And I said, 
Well, and I was with him, but my auntie did not give us time to even me to introduce her to him. And because we were in the crowd, he, she didn't know I was with him. And so he was standing there as hearing my husband and telling me, who told you you could marry a teacher? Teachers don't earn enough to look after you. Look at you. Do you think a teacher is going to maintain you? And by that time, I just started crying. Because I just thought, why are people judging him for the thing? And my, I remember we left there and my husband told me gift. When somebody has got age on his side, don't write them off. He's always, that has always been his motto. If you are young, see a young person struggling, he has age on his side, never write him off. So then um, I think they, we, my aunt later on came and apologized to my husband anyway, but there was a big push from some sectors in my family for me not to marry him because they didn't think he'd look at we were teachers, both of us, and, but then it was expected that, I, that I, I, I go higher than, you know, um, and that was just an expectation. That was very cultural as well, that women always had to go higher. 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 How, how did you see that? And that's, that's a good, this is a good question in my mind, just from what you're saying. How did you deal with that? How did you deal with not letting thoughts from your family? Because, you know, those are people close to you. Because like my dad said in the interview, he said, the number one breaking on relationships is the family. Absolutely. The family, my dad said, he said, he said, parents are the worst when it comes to divorces, everything, because their thoughts come in to young. Imagine someone like you receiving that. Another girl maybe would be like, those thoughts can come in and maybe, maybe she's right. You know, you love this man, but now the thoughts of someone else has, has now sung to you. So what's your advice on that, on whether it's the boy, the girl, both of them, how do you know, kids of today or, you know, in that situation like you were in, not allow the thoughts of others to affect. Do you love the person? I tell you what, everything else drops on the wayside once you start the life, except love. Do you love him or her? Because love will carry you through a lot of things. Because, because after about three years, this person starts annoying you like hell. And everything that everybody told you about him is actually so true. If you love them, that holds you. Because, because one of the things when I was told, when we, started, uh, when we started living together, my husband and wife, we didn't have enough money. We didn't have much money. So a lot of things that people used to tell me that he would not look after you, he would you not, what are you going to eat? All those became true. All this became to where I had sometimes did not have we did not have enough money. Even though we were teaching, we were living in the city, and um, uh, city, and it was very expensive. We had we had a kid, and then it was those things become true. Mm. And if you do not love this person, and I always tell people, whatever you do, marry the person you love. If you are young, as old as I am now, I don't need love. And if, if God forbid I get a divorce or something happens, I will never. I, I don't have to marry for love now. But when you are young and you're superficial and you think everything is going to work the way, marry for love. And and the one thing that helped me was my parents were not at all involved in that. My parents were teachers, all right. They, my my dad started as, started as a teacher. My mother was still a teacher. How are they going to tell me not to marry a teacher? That's teaching is what they had, if they had brought them as far as they had come. How are they not going to tell me not to marry a teacher? The people who actually telling me not to marry teachers were not even teachers. They were not even, some of them didn't even have jobs. And, and, and they, they would throw rich men at you, rich, stupid men at you, thinking that the riches would, if that is what attracts you, fine. But that goes. Mm. The, the lure of money and what money can do in a marriage goes. You could have all the money in the world. You, you live here in Australia. You see people with a lot of money. How happy are they? Preach. And until you came, until I came, until when you come from Africa to here, you think, once I just make the money, I'll be fine. You arrive here and you find that money is not as valuable as, as it was. Whatever you're running away from, that social connection was more valuable than money. The first time we came to Australia, we prepare food, me and my husband, we put it on the, on the table and it was just us. I couldn't even eat. I could not even eat. That social connection, those people that were so bothersome, they brought something into the meal that I now did not have. You could have all the money in the world. 
money is so valueless if other things, the social connection is the foundation of a relationship. Economy mm. is the water that would oil, that would water the oil that would make it running. You may have the economy and you lack the social, you have nothing to oil. The social foundation is the, is, it, it is the bedrock of what holds you as a human being because we are social by nature. Mm. And, and that's where you see, like, I've seen it myself, a lot of mothers, um, or even just, even in the society we live in now, it's so materialistic that it's go after the man that has money, go. And it's just like, I see it. And I feel bad sometimes because I see so much value in a woman. And it's like, you know what, you're just going to be with this person because they can provide all the things that this so-called man is providing financially. You could do yourself. Now, I'm not saying you have to be masculine to go and get it, but you have all of that within you already. So now when you look for a man, it's not about what he has. It's the internal spirit of that man. Do you, what do you like about mm. it? What do you, like, you know, my son Ian once told me, Mom, living here in Australia, we all have the, enough money, all the money we need. And I, I, I do think he's so right. I think the push to have more money is, the thought is, every time I'm pushed to have more money, what are you going to do with that money? Like sometimes when I see people going for millions and millions, I'm thinking, what do you want to do with that money? What is it that, what, is, what value is it going to bring? So when you see a woman pushing the daughter to go for, and does she care about her, her happiness? Does she care that she may actually be in the house locked up with this person that she cannot even stand? Stand, yeah. All right? So happiness, that is why, I, that is when, um, when you first asked me, I said define it. So people need to define what is happiness. What makes you happy? And what is happiness? My husband is ask, always asking, do you think so-and-so is happy? I said, define happiness. Define happiness. So we need to, like everything else, we need to define that. If we're getting to go into a relationship, if you're getting to go into a job, if you're getting to go into, uh, into any kind of arrangement, what is happiness? Mm-hmm. And we will get it from there. Define what it is. So real quick, you said your husband was very pursuant. What do you think he saw in you that he was like, I have to marry this woman? I think, I don't know. That's a really good question for him. But he's always told me that I was, my husband and I, we are very different from each other. We are, we are very, my husband is um, very introverted. He's an introvert, very, very introverted. And George does not know, the two things George does not know how to do. George does not know how to socially connect to people. So sometimes people think, look at them, they think he's arrogant. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's just very, once you get, once you force yourself to connect to him, mm-hmm. he's the best person to yeah. talk to, to be around. But he's very introverted. In me, I think he's, so I'm, I'm extroverted. In me, I think he's so this lady who was very different. Sometimes they say, like poles attract. And like poles attract. Different, when people are different, that attracts. I think there's that attraction to, to, to me, to him, from, to, to, to uh, uh, attraction what attracted him to me. To me, what attracted him, me to him, was he was very calm. He was very calm. He was a very, very calm person. And things could be going way wide and he would not fret. I like that about, I like the fact that he was in control of situations. I love the fact that he was very protective of me. He was overprotective of me. Like if we, if we were walking in that place and somebody even, even if there was a crowd, he would walk around me like that. He would mm. do that around me. And we would walk through the, I remember one day we were walking through the bus stage in Kisumu and it could be, can be really chaotic towards Christmas. It was coming to rain and there were things everywhere. And he would, he would use his body to protect me as we walk. That alone gave me the assurance. This is a guy I want to marry. He was, I think, and then number two, like I said, two things that were very important to me, respect and protection. Those were very important to me. Protection was very more, was actually very important to me. The fact that I knew that this guy would protect me over anything, I do think that when somebody for any reason touches their woman or pushes their woman or even for any reason does anything or abuses their woman in any form or nature, that respect is not there. He needs to go at it. Wow, very inspirational. And what would, what would you say, how long have you guys been married? We've been married this year, 35 years. 35. Mm-hmm. What do you think is like a key to a long-lasting relationship like that? What do you think is the main glue? Of, of course, we, you know, we said love is there, but 
yeah what's yeah what do you think why think, has it been able to last so long i think if people always think the grass is greener the other side if you if the, if the grass is greener the other side the water bill is higher right just remember that if the, the, the neighbor's grass is greener their water bill is higher always remember you have the best of what you what you, what you need uh-huh. all right and you do not know people's stories across the fence so so it comes back to comparison you know what number two what i always tell young people you will always have meet younger people more handsome more beautiful more buffed than your spouse you don't always have to act you're not a dog you don't always have to act to every attraction people go to work meet beautiful men or women leave their spouse at home and divorce them because they, the next attraction has come you people that is you know we are not cockroaches or dogs where we have to act to every every attraction we meet you will still meet beautiful you have a beautiful girlfriend right you will still meet beautiful women out there you don't always have to act to the attraction the i will always be attracted you don't have to act to act on it think about what you what you are losing when you're acting on that don't always act to because do not make a permanent decision for a temporary problem the fact that you fought with your girlfriend does not give you what do I say does not give make it alright for you to go and sleep with someone else I think one of the things is um, people always say, oh, communicate, communicate. Sometimes there's over-communication in a marriage. This when there's over-communication, people, you don't, there's some things. For example, if say, um, I always say, if you, so and somebody hits on you on the way, and maybe your girlfriend knows this person, you already sort, sorted it out, right? You already told them, I'm married, or I am engaged, or I have a girlfriend, please leave it alone. Well, you need to make a decision. Am I going to tell my girlfriend this? So that's up to you. Do you think you should? What are you going to get from telling her? Or because sometimes people say, oh, you know, what? So your friend was hitting on me. Sometimes they say, yes, because they want to feel good about themselves. I just want to tell you I'm still a catch. What is your intention for telling your spouse? Right, because there must be a reason. Are you telling him because you want him to know? Are you telling him to go and fight? Are you telling him because, because if you already told this person, keep off, and the person kept off, what are you, what are you, what are you saying? What are you doing? Over communication. So there's sometimes over communication in a relationship that is not helpful. Communication is very important in a relationship. We need to know what other people think, but we don't need to know what they think at all times. We don't own them. We need to know what their plans are. If their plans affect me, absolutely. I always need to know where my husband is. Not because I want to, to, to police mark him. Why do I need to know? I need to know because he's in danger. And he knows I need to know. So if he thinks I need to, he will give me a colossal gift. I'm running late. If he doesn't tell me the reason he's not told me. The reason why he's not told me. If, he's comes, if he comes home and I said, oh, where were you? He'll always tell me, oh, I couldn't, my phone died. How do you know? Maybe his phone died. Or maybe he's in a place where he cannot talk. Or maybe or maybe he's just forgotten time. Give him time to explain. Don't over-communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to go back what you said earlier because it's so, so true. You know, before when I was younger, I used to think, like, how can I just be with one woman? Like, like you know, all of my life. You know what I'm saying? I used to think that, like, how can I just be with one woman all of my life? That's, That's crazy. Okay. So many, you know, I walk on the street. And as I've gotten older, not, like, I see the value, in, in even in terms of long-term thinking, the relationship we have, what we're doing, what we're trying to build. So nowadays, like, how could be walking in the gym, walking on the street? I'll see a beautiful girl. Absolutely. And I look. But then, I, and I was telling my friend this, exactly what you said. I'll look and, like, for some reason, something will come in my head. It'll be like, Eve, you know what's crazy? That girl probably has her own problems, probably has this, this. The grass is never green on the other side, mm-hmm. you know? And it's so true. And it's so true to the point where it's like, I'm even very protective of my energy now. 
whoever you are, I'm very protective of like who I'm, I'm being around. Mm. And so many men today, you see a beautiful girl and just because she's so fine, she's so beautiful, that sinks, that sinks you in. And this person, like you said, maybe there was no father in the home or this person comes with so many things, but because you see she's beautiful or the sex is good or whatever, that sinks you in. And that's what I want to start telling men of nowadays. Like, like I've seen this and I see this like today, the woman that you choose is the most important decision in the world. In, you, in the in, world. In, I've seen professional footballers, athletes, things happen, women setting them up. These, And I'm like, Eve, now as I've gotten older, as men, you need to be... Fit. The woman that you choose to be with is the most decision you could ever the, do. The, the biggest decision. The biggest decision. Yeah. And like you said... It, you don't always have to... Like, you know, for example, you've come to my house, you've seen this TV... And you, you, you probably see, oh, I'd like to have that. You don't have to go and buy it. You may not be able to afford it. Do you understand what I mean? But then when it comes to, to physical attraction, we always think, yes, we have to react to it. And I'm like, you're not a dog. Mm-hmm. You're not a dog. You don't have to always react to a physical attraction. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, physical attraction is very funny. Because one of the days you're going to be looking at the same, the same woman that you left your wife for, that you're now living with, and you're thinking, wow. What happened to her face? What happened to her this? And like you, you've just completely nailed it when you say, you don't know what baggage that woman brings home. Yeah. Sometimes even the most beautiful are the ones with the with biggest the, one. You have no idea. But then also, the another thing about marriage is, so one, there's something brought you together. You can communicate. Just measure your communication. And then number two, space. Mm-hmm. In our current relationship, because of the mobile phone and everything else, we want to know where our spouses are 24-7. You know, that is one of the things that gave me such trouble when I first came to Australia. Because when I was in Kenya, my husband had his life at daytime. We met in the house and we didn't have a mobile phone. But if you ask me, where's Georgia? I'll tell you, oh, you're in this pub now. Or what time is it? Oh, five o'clock, he's now moving. I would know. I knew his movements. We didn't have a mobile phone. But I knew from him conversing with me. And then I knew what he was. And then he would tell me, I'll be at this place. I would so-and-so. Or we were so-and-so at this time. But now we want to know 24-7 what our spouses are doing. We want to know, where are you? When are you coming home? There's something called me time. Mm. Every woman needs a me time. Every man needs a me time. Just for, before we wrap up, and, and I think this is something that is very important to me, for me to say to the black woman, for example, and this is black woman, I always say this wherever I go to the black woman, that we need to get rid of the myth of the strong black and no cracking woman. Because, honey, the outside may not be cracking, the, in crack, the inside cracks. Normally. We need to get rid of that. We need to understand that we don't have to... Get, sweat small things. Look after where, where are you going? Who are you with? Because men are by nature hunters and they will congregate together at one point. They're not necessarily doing a wrong thing or saying bad things about you or sharing your family secrets. They're just socializing. That's acceptable. I love it. This has been a, and one thing to add on that also something I've also learned, you know, and, and I'm going through things getting older. I've also learned to also keep people out of my relationship and what I mean by that is is not to tell people things before maybe I'd, I might tell someone but then I saw you know what like something can happen and then I learned certain things to keep to myself now I can come to someone like you like a mentor someone let's say even like my father when he gives me advice it's more advice from like I don't know he's like a mentor in a way mm-hmm. you know he could just give me you know be calm or you know something like from that type of but I also learned to not bring people in my relationship and it's what? Choose who to bring in your relationship. Yeah, because because there's a saying that pair of scissors, know how they cross each other? Mm. All you have to do is come in between them and they cut you into two, but they will never cut each other. That's relationship. Husband and wife will be pair of scissors. They will cross each other. They don't cut each other until you come in between them and you get cut. And then you said, you called me and you didn't know they did. You came yourself. Mm. Choose who you bring in your relationship. That's, that's a really, really important thing. And choose what you share with other people. That's really important. And number, remember what I told you before, when you're sharing information, what is your intention? 
that's important. Yeah, because you don't even need to. I like how you also said that. I saw another rapper, he was saying like, he said, you know, sometimes like they're in the studio, for example, and then someone, a friend of his invites other girls. Obviously, he said, I'm not doing anything, but he said, I don't need to go and tell my wife that. What's the point of me going and telling? Of course, me, you know, deep down, if you know what you're doing, you're focused, you're making music or whatever. But certain things, it's true. Certain things, if a girl comes and hits on me, because also me, sometimes I know, I know maybe my girl's an overthinker or she might, even though obviously I'm doing my thing. So me telling her that is just going to make her maybe could be paranoid when she doesn't need to be because or I'm... hurt her mm. or hurt her. So you know your girl, you know what freaks her out, you know what she will take properly. So when you're sharing the information, you need to take care of her feelings, take care of how, how that's going to affect her. So the information that I share with you, if, if say for example, the, the friends keeps hitting on you, okay, absolutely, yeah. tell her. I've told you I'm married, but you still come here. So let you tell her. But if this is something I want of where you have managed the situation, all right, you need to find out why am I sharing this information with her? Because am I trying to hurt her? Mm. Am I trying to tell her what a big catch I am? Mm. What am I doing? What's he going to achieve? What's he going to achieve? Okay, guys, this, you know, we can talk for, we can talk for, we can talk all day. I'm not going to lie. This has been an amazing conversation. Um, thank you so much, Auntie, for giving me your time. You know, time is the most valuable thing we have on this earth. Mm -hmm. It honestly is. And so even when I come here, it's just like, I want to maximize our time together. So because yeah, like, you know, you invited me into your beautiful house. Yeah, thank and, you uh, thanks for coming. Actually, thanks for coming. And my apology that you've taken us this no, long to do it. Um, yeah, thanks for coming. Mm, and thanks yeah. for taking your time to come all the way. I know it's a, it's a long drive. Yeah. Thank you for coming. No worries. It was worth it. Okay. Thanks guys for watching. Make sure to like, share, subscribe.